Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the GBSA podcast. I'm back here with Frankie, Bellicus, and Elizabeth, and um, one of your hosts, Joseph. And um, today we have a pretty interesting episode we wanted to kind of discuss about. Uh, we mentioned um, during our introduction in our last episode, um, kind of our like what we do, like research wise, with you know we work on this um, at, with our advisors slash professors in their labs during this time, and I feel like this would be a wonderful opportunity to kind of, like, discuss to the audience, you know, whether they be undergraduates or graduate students, if they feel like, you know, they should be doing research, not only just to get the experience, or if they want to go into, go into PhD, to a PhD program, a medical program, or whatever the route might may, uh, may be. So... I, I know we did uh, kind of briefly mention, we didn't really go too much in depth for what we kind of do, um, but uh, I would like to ask y'all, um, like, what exactly um, y'all research about and kind of like why you became interested uh, looking into this uh, particular topic in the first place? Um, and from also kind of like discussing y'all's experience uh, uh, so far. So um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, so hi, I'm Elizabeth Cervik. So the research I've been doing, I've been doing research for a while. Um, I started doing research as an undergrad um, at Texas A&M University, uh, where I got my undergrad. Um, I majored in biology with a minor in astrophysics. So with my very kind of strange combo, um, I ended up getting a lot of different research experience. I ended up working in three different labs as an undergrad. Um, I started off doing research in the physics department through kind of a uh, out of the blue meeting, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up meet, talking, um, so when I was an undergrad, uh, I guess backtrack a little bit, um, I was in the Corps of Cadets. Uh, my senior year in the Corps, uh, I ended up going to a, uh, there was a seminar being held in the physics department that anyone could attend and it was about like science and science fiction. And so how do science scientists write real science fiction? Um, and I went to this and on my way there, I ended up meeting um, a professor by the name of Dr. Hans Schusler and elderly gentleman. Um, and he was behind me as we were walking and I got to the door and he had a cane in one hand and a box in another. And so I held the door open for him. And uh, he's, I was like, here, come on in. And he's like, oh, thank you very much. And he's like, you remind me of my first student who is Lieutenant General now. Like, okay. <laughs> so I ended up talking to him. I talked about my minor in astrophysics and he ended up asking me if I'd like to do research in his lab. So just kind of like random act of kindness. God, I, and I wanted to do research for a while because I wanted to see if I liked it. So I was like, yes, please, I'd love to work in your lab. Um, I was a biology major at the time, so that was really odd. But I was like, well, I mean, I want to do astrobiology. So I was like, well, I'll work in physics for a while. And so for about a year and a half, pretty much the rest of my undergrad, um, I worked in the physics lab. His uh, research lab is called CYBOR, which stands for Stored Ion and Biooptics Research Lab. Um, and so I ended up doing a lot of work on surface plasma resonance. They were looking at potentially doing stuff with it, uh, 
in like hearing devices and different things. And so I did a lot of research on SPR. Uh, another lab I worked in kind of at the end of my undergrad was Dr. Mary Wixton's lab. She does, she's a marine invert zoologist and I did research with her with NOAA. And we were looking at deep sea pictures from the Okeanos Explorer and their ROVs or remotely operated vehicles. And we were trying to do an ecological survey on um, where certain types of lobsters in the deep sea, like which corals they preferred. So I did that. I also worked with Dr. Lawrence Griffin, who does research with uh, plants. And I was specifically working with him and his graduate student on Aridopsis, which is a specific type of plant. And we were looking at the sterile transfer in Aridopsis. Um, so that's kind of my undergraduate. Uh, in graduate school now, what I'm currently doing is I'm working with Dr. Randy Powell, as I mentioned in our first podcast. Uh, he's the local herpetologist, and so I work in his herpetology lab, and I'm doing research with, um, I'm basically using GIS, which stands for Geographic Information Systems. It is a uh, program used for mapping. So in your phone, you have like Google Maps and stuff that uses GIS. And so I am using these map, this mapping technology to create a more updated map for the genus snake Chironius in Bolivia. Bolivia is in South America. Um, it's not as explored as some of your other South American countries. And so I'm basically what I'm hoping to do with my thesis and my research is to shed light on an area and a topic that doesn't have a whole lot of information about it in Bolivia. Um, with my maps, I'm hoping to look for patterns in like where Chironius prefers to live and if deforestation is having is an issue there um, for uh, Chironius and kind of stuff like that. So that's my current research. I've also done some other research. Uh, I did some over this past summer in uh, 2019 at the University of Southern Mississippi. I did a project there at, the, at their Gulf Coast Research Lab on um, looking at some uh, naked gobies and some skillet fish. And I was looking to see, uh, to test the effects of salinity on their eating habits. So I've done a chunk of research in my time um, and a wide variety in many different labs. Um, in the lab, what we do depends on the lab I worked in. So a lot of the labs though, and including the one I currently work in, will go out in the field for about a month um, or so, sometimes in the summer, sometimes other times. And then the rest of the year is spent basically in the lab trying to analyze data. And so it's a lot of crunching numbers, doing a lot of statistics, um, updating our database that we already have, things like that. When I was in physics, I ended up basically going down to a basement in a dark basement, cold basement, and I would spend hours basically looking at a computer and programming. Um, so depending on what type of research you do, it's if you're lucky, you'll get to go out in the field for a while. Um, but generally, like most of your work is when you come back. So there is some fun, but there's a lot of crunching numbers and spending time analyzing what you find. Because while gathering data is great, you need to analyze it to understand what it means. That's pretty much the end part and the uh, goal of science is to understand what we see. We see this, oh cool, great, but like, what does it mean? So that's kind of, that's the research that I've been doing 
forever. I say forever for a long time. But yeah. Sweet. Um, what about you, Bilikus? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, I actually, um, I didn't do much research during my undergrad, but like, um, I think it was my last semester of my undergrad program that I got the, um, opportunity to work with one of my professors then, um, so his name was, um, his name is Dr. Morris. And um, initially I was just like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna see how like what research really is like because I really didn't have much background research. But then because I had studied biology as well, um, I just wanted to like explore that um, area. So I spoke to him and he did give me the opportunity to work in his, um, in his lab at the time. And um, we worked, so his lab is kind of like a molecular biology lab. So um, the research I did was focused more on transformation efficiency of a soybean pathogen. And the main goal was for us to understand the mechanism of like recombinant DNA engineering, which was pretty cool. And I was just like, oh, wow, like research is actually isn't that bad. And um, I said like, build more interest in actually just learning more about like a wide range of molecular um, lab techniques and stuff. So um, when I applied to Tamuk, the first thing I did was um, I kind of checked if they have um, like thesis program, like a thesis track for um, the biology department and stuff. So I saw that it did, and I was really glad. So the next thing I did was try to like find the different um, faculty and the research they were involved in. And the first person that I kind of connected with was Dr. Song. And this was even before I had actually applied. So I just knew going in that, okay, I actually want to work in Dr. Song's lab. And his lab is actually kind of like geared towards um, research that actually helps with understand more about ovarian cancer and I knew I was really interested in cancer. So um, my knowledge of research actually is more like, I see research as something that helps to kind of like improve health to a certain degree. So research is not about something you're doing for yourself. It's about something you're doing to help others. So with that mindset, I had known, okay, if we're going to do research, it's going to be something that could potentially improve someone else's health or life to a certain degree. So cancer was the right field for me if I was going to go into research. So um, I contacted Dr. Song, and when I got into Tamuk, I was really excited. I mean, the first semester, I, I think that was just like me kind of like testing the waters because, I mean, as a graduate student and I'm new and stuff like that, I had to like on learn things and learn new things at the same time. So I'm glad I got the opportunity to work with Dr. Song and um, the research I'm currently doing right now is um, I'm working on some protein to protein interaction and uh, we have some spe specific proteins that we're looking into. I'm not liberty to share, <laughs> um, but possibly, so we're hoping that 
understanding like the interaction of these different proteins and the um, the transcription factors that actually play a role in tumor suppression and help us kind of like create pointers to um, kind of like some of the, I'll like put it, some of like the molecular and cellular, um, molecular and cellular like components or mechanism that's kind of like involved with carcinoma in humans. So we're currently using, so we kind of do a lot of like cell culture because we want to like mimic the, um, how I put it, want to like mimic the kind of like properties you find in the body, just like instead of like doing it in like human being, you're doing it in the lab. So we kind of like mimic that kind of environment and carry out um, just like different experiments to kind of like help us, kind of like give us an insight into the kind of proteins and different interactions that occur in um, like a cancer patient and how when we knock down probably like a particular component of this cancer, what effect does it like derive, like things like that. So right now we're just doing a lot of like testing and probing and seeing what works, you know, like when you take something out, what effect does that, you know, cause and stuff like that. So it's actually, it's been fun. Um, I'm kind of like enjoying the whole ride so far. And um, I'll be doing my thesis proposal next semester, which is in the fall. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. And thanks to COVID, <laughs> I've kind of like had to pause on research, but hopefully I'm going to like bounce back pretty soon. But yeah, so just doing cancer research for now is really my field. So yeah. Great, great. Um, Frankie, I know that um, you're not in the, yeah, you're not doing research currently, but uh, I kind of just want, you know, interested, um, can you talk about what kind of made you to go to that decision? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so I have had research experience in the past. Um, I actually had my first research experience here at Texas A&M University, Kingsville, back in 2012, uh, when I was a, a senior in high school, or I guess transitioning into my senior year of high school. Um, I uh, spent a summer with the National Natural Toxins Research Center and uh, did some work on uh, a protein called C-type lectins with them. Um, and then I had another uh, research experience um, in my hometown of San Marcos, Texas, at Texas State University, uh, doing some um, plant stress work. And as an undergrad, I kind of did the typical pre-medical uh, student thing and did um, research. Uh, I was working with the Texas A&M Health Science Center, um, and uh, we were working with uh, breast cancer. Um, I guess I, I continued to do research in um, graduate school because I was considering a MD-PhD program. Uh, I mentioned this in the first episode, but I do want to go to medical school after this. Uh, but I think it was sort of 
different having had, uh, you know, cumulatively uh, several years of research experience. Um, I think when, so, so when I started uh, research again at the NNTRC, um, it, I guess it, having seen like several labs, it was interesting to kind of reflect on um, how each lab is different uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I'd say there are several important questions students have to ask themselves uh, when they're considering research. And these are questions I, I asked myself when I was kind of debating or discerning whether or not to, to uh, continue. But um, I think the biggest question is like, what, how does this, how is this going to help me with my uh, career experience or my career goals? Um, because if you are considering a PhD or something like that, like I was, um, it is important to get that kind of experience. Um, and you will probably learn pretty quickly whether it's something that you want to do for like 10 years or I was doing MD PhD so or considering that so that would have been like 10 years um all in all like school probably more um but uh yeah you, you kind of ask yourself like okay could I see myself doing this for two years five years ten years and if you first see yourself kind of like eh, I might prefer to do other things during that time then uh yeah it, I, I research might not be right for you which is kind of what i ended up uh concluding in my own uh i guess journey um does that answer your question or is that kind of kind of yeah, what the sure. original question was yeah it does yeah. um we can also kind of go back to that um in our second uh segment where we kind of discuss like you know, why would someone go into this route and if it's, if it's something that they could, they're interested in, you know, if, if it's, if it's like, if it really is for me to go into the route of doing yeah. research, you know, as a grad student or graduate studies, um, yeah. but we'll, we'll go into that in just a bit. Um, for me, so I graduated in, in Tamuk back in 2019 of the spring. I had like, I had a bachelor's, a bachelor's of science in biology, and I had two minors in both chemistry and philosophy. I actually around halfway into my undergrad year, I was actually considering to be, you know, to apply to pharmacy school, uh, since uh, I had a, uh, had two friends back in Heavenville, that actually came to the conclusions like, yeah, I want to become a pharmacist. And we so happened to be going to the same school, but they they were just uh, ahead of me at that time. So yeah, like I don't know what happened. So like I was like invested, you know, going into the PPA and all that, being kind of just being a member. And yeah, I mean, I I generally did like it at all, like a lot. But I don't know what why I came to the conclusion to kind of just back out of it, and. It seemed like they was like, man, you betrayed us and all that, you know, just kind of joking around. But like, at the same time, I kind of just felt, wow, like, I, I, I don't know if this was the right choice, but I don't know. 
So from there, I was like, okay, let me first get my bachelor's. And maybe I was thinking of just getting, going to get my PhD in some, um, in some other school. I would prefer being somewhere kind of close home, but I mean, it kind of just depends like what they actually, what different universities offer. So from there, I decided just, just to, well, I as well go to graduate school from there. During the time um, I was an undergrad, I didn't have any type of like research experience at the time. Um, I think, and and um, my advisor at the time was uh, um, today, right? I mean, not today, but during uh, my graduate um, studies, my advisor is Dr. Rudolf Bohm. I met the dude taking molecular biology during my last semester as an undergrad. And I was actually like afraid to take that class because like I was, you know, hearing things like like the class is extremely difficult and all that, you know, it's like it's going to be stressful and all that. But like, I thought to myself, well, I mean, like I have a general good like basis of like genetics and molecular genetics. Like I had that under my belt. So I, I feel like maybe it won't be too bad. Uh, go into it. Actually, I actually liked the class for the most part because I, I did learn a lot of cool things like transgenic organisms, a bunch of like reporters, even a few things about fruit flies here and there. And it was cool. I mean, and even at one point, uh, my professor literally told me that I looked like a, wi- a widow because I would wear a bucket hat every day to class. So what I kind of work with uh, with him is, again, was just mostly with um, fruit flies. Um, he's more into the whole fruit, fruitless gene. So this is actually deals more with like, uh, we call it Drosophila monogaster courtship. So where like the males have this turned on while the females don't through a process known as alternative splicing. For those who don't know what alternative splicing is, it's like, in eukaryotes, like the high living organisms, their DNA needs to be kind of processed, like the, not the DNA, but the mRNA has to be processed since it's considered to have pre-RNA. Some strands of it aren't coded. Those are called introns. Think the, the parts that are actually coded in the uh, translation process are the exons. There are some cases where like, you get different pieces of the exons that would be part of the mature RNA. And that's the whole idea is like, well, we got this piece that has the fruit gene. The other one has like kind of like a cut version of it. So it's kind of turned off. Uh, maybe even has like a piece of an intro. I, for- I forgot what it was, but essentially the males have this fruit- fruitless gene while the females don't. So in this case, the males will go into go and do the whole courtship thing where like they'll first find a female. They'll kind of, they'll kind of just chase them in the, in the back, tap on them trying to get their attention, and then they'll do a courtship song with their wings kind of just, like, fluttering. And then they kind of just go around and around. And then they, if it's successful, the male will attempt to co-populate. So that's usually how, how, how the, the gene works. So they kind of, kind of, he kind of works with, like, mutations in that to see, like, any type of weird things sexually happening with the male where it might not have not interest with the female or it would attempt to, to courtship with other males, which is interesting. Um, my thing just deals with more, more on cell death. I was really interested 
um, back in, in my undergrad year after taking SOFIS and also when I took seminar where I did a kind of like a, my research topic was on apoptosis in, in liver cancer cells. From there, I kind of learned like pretty much the whole base of mechanism, both the intrinsic and extrinsic pathway of apoptosis. And not only that, I was able to learn something, a new type of cell death along the way, which was discovered back in 2012 by the two, I guess, founders who kind of coined the name was um, Dr. Stockwell and Dr. Dixon. They came up with the term known as uh, ferropoptosis, which is an iron-dependent program cell death. To kind of like not go into the more molecular bases between like both apoptosis and ferropoptosis, apoptosis is a type of cell death which involves like you have you have pretty much um uh, type of like proteins that are anti apoptotic and pro apoptotic. The pro apoptotic proteins usually will cause cells to die, while the anti apoptotic cells are the ones that kind of like keep the cell alive. So this is type of like balance between keeping the cell living or keep or letting it die in cases where it's like forever like dividing and like uncontrollably like in cancer cells. So in cancer cells, they just straight up evolve to have these type of like anti uh, apoptotic proteins straight up upregulated on demand. So what happens here is, is like there are two ways. You can, you can either die through the intrinsic, which is usually coming from inside or outside the cell, the extrinsic. Some sort of stress uh, type of uh, deal is going on to the cell that's kind of like making it. It's like, okay, you got to kill yourself. And then from there, it kind of goes into this clean process where it kind of just starts uh, bobbing up. Um, it There's a recruitment of caspases, which are type of these like uh, kind of like proteinases. And that kind of just recruit other caspases in, in a process known as caspase, caspase, cascade, wait, caspase, cascade. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird term. And it pretty much start destroying all proteins, especially in the, the membrane. And then even have a DNA can kind of cut into like short little fragments. And it's a really clean process because once it starts blobbing, the cell kind of just like kind of distributes itself as like these short apoptotic bodies where any part of the immune system or other lymphocytes will come and just like devour it. So the good thing about it, it doesn't cause inflammation. Ferropoptosis, on the other hand, is something that deals with, like, you have a, a huge accumulation of lipid peroxides, and that's uh, lipid peroxides and reactive oxygen species, which these are usually produced in kind of like metabol- metabolizing, like, oxygen-related uh, molecules. Usually this can be done with, like, iron or any type of metals, specifically iron in this case. And there are certain type of uh, mechanisms involved to um, to kind of control that, such as uh, there's a there's an antiporter in cells that kind of controls the uh, the uh, kind of like the uh, some molecules and those like uh, uh, glutamate and cysteine kind of going in and out. That glutamate can actually be oh that's is either glutamate or cysteine that kind of becomes this. Uh, antioxidant molecule and then that is also processed in 
in another enzyme known as GP, uh, sacrodiol peroxidase. And this is meant to help the cell to kind of remove all of these like toxic radio, uh, reactive oxygen species. But as soon as you knock down these types of any of these or use in some sort of uh, ferropatotic inducer, such as the one I'm working with is Arastin, the cell will start dying. And the thing is about compared to ferropatosis and apoptosis, it doesn't use caspases. It's completely separate from that. So the it's kind of sometimes it's kind of hard to determine whether it's ferropatotic or apoptotic cell death. But if you use there's some other agents you could possibly use to actually recover cells undergoing ferropatosis. Either there's a bunch of antioxidants they could use, or maybe something uh, some sort of uh, it's a ferropatotic gene that you can probably knock down and you can have that uh, shown. And yeah, that's mo- we're mostly testing in, in an e vivo model or like in a living organism in fruit flies. It's, it's really uncommon since I'm more used to seeing papers in like in vitro uh, cell cultures. But we wanted to see that in neural cells since ferropatosis is also very, seems to be known for causing. Uh, neurodegenerative diseases as well, not, uh, not only just cancers, cancer. So it's been pretty fun. I can't really explain too much about it, but that's mainly like the basis that I got. It's been really nice to hear about your uh, research experiences. I bet it's a lot of fun and very interesting. Uh, I think I feel like we're pretty much quite diverse in like what we actually talk about and what like our main research interests are. And it's also good to kind of like to talk, kind of just talk about it to our audience. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up for the, for our next segment is uh, why would someone go and consider the route of going into research? So, like, uh, for our for our uh, biology program, or I guess any other program, uh, we have kind of like three routes. We can you can do go for a all like coursework route, uh, a research uh, route with you know doing your thesis or project, and these are like great outlets if you wanted to pursue say a PhD program or you want to go into medical school or whatnot. So uh, I kind of just wanted to ask y'all. Um, do you, how do you know if if research is for is for me or like for some other person that's interested in thinking about uh, going into a master's program? Like, what are y'all's thoughts about it? Well, um, I know why I decided to go to graduate school and like decide to do research was that um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, like I um, I did a lot of research as an undergrad. I say a lot. I did I did a chunk of research though as an undergrad and. Um, I ended up um, looking at my grades from undergrad. I ended up, I did a lot of other things besides school. And so my grades weren't necessarily where I wanted them to be. Um, And it made it actually rather difficult to get into different PhD programs I was looking for. So um, I kind of came to grad school and decided to to do research because I, to some extent, enjoyed doing research as an undergrad. Um, I did a lot of writing. Actually, one of my main things I did when I was in the physics department was I 
I helped them with their papers and got a couple publications from that. Um, so I kind of, I went to grad school to fix my grades, really. My grades weren't where I needed them to be to get into the programs I was interested in. And so I came in um, kind of wanting to find, to, to get some skills because one of the uh, people I had talked to as an undergrad who was really kind of a mentor to me told me, you need to, um, your grades maybe aren't great, but the way to fix that or to work on that is to go work on a master's, get your master's, learn a skill and do some research. And that will look good on your CV, um, which stands for curriculum vitae, which is like the academic, which is your academic portfolio, basically. That's what the CV does, is describes your academic like stuff. Um, and so if I did that, that would help. I would be more competitive and I could get into a PhD program I wanted. So that's kind of why I decided to go to grad school is, and to do research was to get better grades. When you go into a master's program or even any type of graduate program, um, your grades automatically reset. So your GPA from undergrad doesn't, they'll look at it probably um, when, when you go to your PhD, but you basically reset it though, when you start a master's or PhD program. Um, so it would help me with my grade situation. Um, and I also got my new skills. So I um, kind of, as I talked about, like I did stuff, I got a certificate in GIS. I worked and took classes and now I'm certified for GIS, which stands for Geographic Information Systems. Um, basically it's a big mapping program. And so I, I now have that under my belt and that's really versatile. Um, so that's kind of why I like went, uh, that's why I decided to do research and go to graduate school. Um, I know that really it also, it fit my goals and that's why I went. Um, I really wanted to get a PhD. I still do. It's one of the, like, I hope once I finish my pro my master's program, like, and get my thesis done, like I'll go off and do my PhD. And that's why I chose of the three routes that Joseph mentioned, like, that's why I picked the thesis route because in order to, to be able to go on for a PhD, a thesis will look really good instead of just like a project or even just coursework. Like a thesis shows that I have like written a lot of, I've, I've written on this topic. I can do like decent research. And is, if I can get my thesis published, which that's one of the goals and hopes, um, then that'll also look really good on my CV and everything. So that's kind of like, why I wanted to. I've learned though that while I enjoy research to some extent, like that's not, I'm not as big of a fan of research as I am of teaching. So I, that's one thing that like I've gotten to do as well in graduate school is I've really got to work on my teaching skills. Um, and so that's been really, to me, really helpful. And I've learned that when I go on after my PhD, what I'm gonna wanna do is go into um, really like, I wanna do, more teaching than research. Research is cool, but I prefer to teach. So doing like a combination of like a lot of teaching and a little bit of research. And so like, depending on like how much, when you do research, once you kind of figure out, do you like it or not? Kind of looking at that, how much you like it or not, that's kind of how I, what I learned is like, okay, like I can do research and I think it's okay, but I prefer to do a little more of like the teaching aspect. So that was kind of something that, I learned. I definitely agree on the on, on what you're saying, Elizabeth, because like I do like do, uh, doing my research uh, 
uh, with my uh, my professor, and because like I I do learn like a, a lot of great techniques, a lot of stuff in like molecular biology and stuff. Uh, but having like this like I only have like one year of experience like teaching uh, in a bunch of labs uh, with uh, with my students, and you know I I'm pretty much introverted at this uh, at this point, so I, I do find it kind of like difficult in socializing. However, I did. I really do enjoy like talking and uh, with students and trying to get them to learn about a lot of new stuff. Like it's it's really a joy f- for me, uh, just like teaching them about uh, about some stuff that they don't understand. Uh, but yeah, like I also, for the most part, do do like doing research. But uh, I I had the the path of like also trying to go to become a professor or maybe even a teacher once I'm done. Just trying to we call it a. Uh, trying to um be paid my debt essentially <laughs> but yeah i mean it's 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 still a journey it's a um an experience nevertheless uh how about uh you Billicus or frank you uh, how do y'all feel about uh how do you know someone would be interested in doing research i i do have a note um did you guys know that like the thesis project or coursework specification doesn't show up on our degree plan. At least in chemistry, that's the way it was. Like, oh, for yeah, real? or like on our degree. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I I think. Oh. So, yes. Oh, so it doesn't come up on your like on your um, on your diploma or anything. It just kind of. Oh. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's what I was told um, in chemistry. I'm not sure if it's the same for biology. Um, so, like, you would just get, like, a like an MS in whatever. It doesn't specify, like, how you got it. Yeah, exactly. The Where, where the specification would help you out a lot is in the day-to-day. And the day-to-day meaning, like, you have to take less credit hours um, than, like, a coursework uh i guess path um and that gives you more time to focus on your research so you can like pump out publications um Mm -hmm. and then the other thing is i guess like in interviews or in applications or stuff you can point um uh, admissions committees to that part in your cv like you know i i published a thesis and in addition i also have these publications and I have plenty of like research experience. So I think, I, I don't know, it could be different for biology. We've always kind of thought like, I oh, mean, it's kind of not fair to the people who who are doing like a thesis track because I feel like that should be recognized on your degree plan um, right. or on your uh, diploma. So I don't know, that's just, but that's one thing that um, I think people may be interested in knowing or asking uh, when they go into or tr- are trying to decide like thesis versus project coursework kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just wanted to interject there and mention that. But in terms of um, why I chose to do uh, a master's and do research, um, I actually decided to so so background or context i had always wanted to be a medical doctor as well as do um snake bite research or like snake venom research um to discover 
novel therapeutics. And the only lab in Texas that does that kind of research is this lab here at uh, Tamuk. So um, for me, it was like a very natural uh, decision. I, I knew I was going to go get my master's at um, Tamuk and um, really, really just kind of decide, like, is this the route I want to go? Like, because if I did, if I ended up doing the research aspect in addition to the of being doctor, I would probably have to go into an MD, PhD program. Whereas if I was only wanting to practice in a clinical setting, I would only do an MD program. And that's that's really why... Um, I was pursuing a master's. Um, in the end, I, I think I decided that I that I would be happiest in a clinical setting only. Um, although I, I really respect researchers and the work they do um, and would definitely consider, or I, I would be interested in learning like how we can get funding to researchers. Like that would just be like a private endeavor of mine. Um, Cause I think there are lots of people who are trying to do cool stuff, but like, it's just not the like hot topic or whatever. Um, or they're like ahead of their time. So people don't really want to fund them. Um, I'm also really interested in like, how do we regulate research? So there are lots mm -hmm. of like um, uh, accrediting body bodies out there and um, safety and inspection organizations out there. But like, how do they make sure that labs are following the rules and like calibrating machines and stuff like that? Because I think when we start kind of being unified um, on a national level or international level in our research methods, I think we start to produce work that's um, more reproducible and I don't know, just it's, it's better work. So that's my two cents. What do you think, Bilikus, about um, like, how, how do you, uh, how did you decide to go, go into a, a a master's program and do research and how would you know like if someone if someone isn't is interested if they think they'll be down to do research in lab yeah um so when it comes to research you definitely at least two things for sure you have to love science and you also have to be very curious curious in the sense that you need to be interested in like finding answers to basically the unknown, right? Because in research, you're really trying to find answers to questions or problems that you're willing to kind of like be a part of the solution. So for me, I um, kind of like had the research exposure at the end of my undergrad degree. And at least I, I had it for like that first time because I didn't really do research throughout college, except when I graduated. And I just loved it. So I researched with um, one of my genetics teacher and I was so lucky to work in his lab and he was willing to kind of like train me and kind of like put me through all the things that involved with being a good researcher in the lab and stuff like that. So I worked as a, I worked as a research assistant with him on a project, just pretty fun. So when I was applying to my master's program at Tamok, and I saw the thesis option. I was like, okay, I just have to like jump on this. So I didn't even think twice. I didn't even consider like the project or the coursework. I just went right into like the research because it's really just all about like really finding like 
solutions and that's kind of like one of my core values like just having to like be a part of the solution that can potentially contribute towards like an improvement or an innovation that can impact people people's lives so my lab kind of like we kind of work on cancer and I'm sure everyone kind of like knows about like the different kind of cancer and how it affects people and kind of like most often lead to like the death of people and loved ones and me just knowing that I can be a part of something that can just change that in a little way or at least in my way I found that kind of interesting so again you have to be very curious you have to love science because if you're not really into research you can get bond out you can get bored and it's just something that you can easily give up on because I've had my fair share of like being frustrated in the lab because maybe I skipped a step in the procedure of like running a sample or something and I'm just frustrated because I probably spent like a week and I didn't even know until I got the result and I'm like okay something is wrong with this result what happened and then I have to troubleshoot and then figure out oh I probably missed this step in day one and you can imagine putting all that work time and sweat into like a project and then you just have to start again so you need to be able Mm -hmm. to persevere you need to be able to just not get defeated easily. So, you know, anyone that loves science and you're willing to just help find solutions to some of the problems we have right now in the world, if you think, you know, that's kind of like what you're interested in, I think you could, you, should, you could consider research. Other than that, I'm sure there are like other options, you know, out there in the, just like in the life science field. So yeah, that's it for me. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with what you're saying, Bilicu. Uh, we call it, yeah, I feel, I do, I also feel like if you really want to go into this route, you have to have like a strong passion for whatever thing you, you're really interested in, like going to say biology, chemistry, psychology, or whatever the course you want to go into. I mean, you need to have like some sort of interest to kind of like, to make sure, like, oh, this is something that you 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 would invest your time into, you know, doing research and whatnot. Uh, whenever, um, I guess, whenever I got interested, whenever I was kind of like in this uh, division of either going to pharmacy school or going to a PhD route, uh, I had like, you know, kind of like this existential dread, like what where to go into at that point, and. Uh, I, I talked to some of my friends and I f- they felt like, man, I, I don't know if, you know, I felt like you, you'll be better off, you know, as a researcher, despite the time, like, I also didn't have any, like, research under my belt when I was a undergraduate, but I did love the classes I was taking because I felt like I learned a lot, but I haven't really fully applied most of these techniques and learning experience into real life. But this past, what, year... I felt like I learned a lot with uh, with uh, my professor, and um, yeah, it's been really fun. Um, uh, I kind of uh, want to kind of just talk about like a little story real quick because I feel like this is kind of like where I became really invested into. I guess not only just molecular because you you talk about that you do research with cancer. Uh, I'm also interested in that, 
mainly because uh, around let's see, around two thousand nine, so that's like like a decade ago. We have there was like a tornado that hit Heavenville one time, and around that time, like I was like literally asleep in my bed whenever the the tornado came in. It actually passed through. Uh, my house at the time. My mother was at work, and I think my grandparents were like, a, were in, in in the house or out of town. I forgot where, but they were just kind of just chilling at that point. But what happened was, I was literally asleep, and then the tornado came in. I didn't hear it passing through, and then all the lights went out. My mother was like, uh, drove uh, back, you know. She was like, Joseph, wake up, wake up, and. I was like, wait, wait, what's happening? Like, I was like in confusion at that point. I didn't know what what was happening, and she was just saying, "Yeah, tornado just passed through here." Thankfully, there wasn't anything, but there was like, there was some like they destroyed the fences. And around that time, my mom was actually was um, started going uh, undergoing treatments of uh, chemotherapy because uh, she suffered from rectal cancer at that time, and it was around that time whenever she started losing her hair. It was like probably one of the most stressful times for not only our family, but for my mom, my mom's sake. So I kind of got, this is why the reason why I started going into, not only because uh, not like everything in life has to come to an end. Like I, I do like that in a, in a philosophical manner, but yeah, I, that's, uh, I feel like trying to induce death into cancer cells is one of the best things to help out a uh, majority of people suffering you know we're trying to discriminately target cancer cells in the first place that's really what where i started kind of getting my inspiration to work on cell death in the first place like so kind of talking with what billy said about like you need to be passionate about what you do research in um i agree to some extent but i also in my experience with research i my experience i'd say is not necessarily a very typical experience with research because like earlier I talked about like I I've done research in physics I've done research in bio done plant stuff I've done marine and I'll be honest like I wasn't extremely passionate about like my especially my physics stuff was mostly theoretical so that was rough because basically we had a a uh, equation and all we were doing was manipulating the thing and like oh if we manipulate this then this should happen and basically just running that through simulations um and a program in a basement <laughs> so um, like yeah so it's it's one of those like it, i enjoy i enjoy doing that type of research um to some extent but it definitely i wasn't extremely passionate about it and so maybe that's also why like i really lean towards um teaching more than I do research is because while I've done a lot, a wide variety of research, um, like I didn't, I wasn't passionate about all the different types I've done. Um, I did a lot, I did some of them because like, I thought they'd look good on my resume and they did. Um, but I also kind of just was like, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that and stuff. I will say that my favorite research was my Marine research which was super cool because I loved going out and actually like collecting my specimen from the Gulf and like looking at my little fish under a microscope and being like, what type of fish are you? And then trying to like key them out, which for those of you that haven't done keying, keying is a pain in the neck. 
especially because you're looking for like these little bitty witty structures and like in some fish <laughs> for like the different types of teeth and you're like this mouth is like so small I'm all, and I was worried I was going to have to kill some of them to figure it out like, I, don't kill my I need them alive so like but like that's it's but that was a lot of fun though like going out setting my traps catching my fish having to deal with the blue crabs that had the terrible attitudes like but that's it's one of the like so some research like is a lot of fun and so I guess that's why I'm like I like research and research can be fun but I will say though like after you go out for like a month and you do your research that next year and I think I said this a little earlier like that next that like after that you basically spend a year just analyzing your data and that can be really boring Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of why I'm like I like research but I like I like going out and teaching. And that's something I think I learned with physics too, because with the physics research I did for a year and a half, I was literally in a basement for hours and it was cold. There were no windows and I just, I didn't see anybody. I, I think I saw my, I did see my PI um, who great guy was, I, it was a pleasure to work with him, but like, that's the only person I saw. And so I just, I didn't get my human interaction I needed. And so I was like, I, I can do this, but I don't want to do this this way. I really need that like second aspect of teaching or second aspect of research, which really is teaching and telling people, telling the world about what you do. So like, I'd say that for those that are worried about, like, I may not be passionate about doing this research. That's okay. I'd still do it. Um, honestly, just because one, it's a good experience. So you will actually figure out if you like it or not, even if you're not extremely passionate about it. Um, just because no matter what type of research you do, whether it is theoretical or it actually, you so happen to get to go out in the field or it's in a lab pipetting, um, getting the feel for how the scientific process works. Cause I feel like that's the best way with research. You're working on a project, you're trying to answer a question, you have to start thinking the way a researcher does, which is like, why is this happening? Instead of just, okay, this is the way it is. No. Why is it doing that? Like, why should I be getting this results? What results should I expect? How do I know I'm on the right track? Like, that was really a big thing for me, because I know as well as an undergrad, like I was, I pretty much got through undergrad with just understanding, okay, this is how it is. But once I started doing research and really working with my PI, um, my PI was like, you can't just take this at face value. You need to actually start like questioning it. And so that was something that I had to train myself to do was like start questioning stuff and really get in that mindset of being a scientist, which a scientist is supposed to ask, why is this the way it is? So that was a big, big thing for me. I I wanted to just kind of take that in. I kind of want to piggyback off of what you're saying and ask this question. Have you all had that experience in research where PIs are encouraging you all to like ask questions, um, analyze things, like really dig down or dig deep into the topic? Because in, in my experience with the research, it was actually kind of the opposite. Like when I would do extra reading and like kind of question like, okay, why are we doing it this way? when like other people are doing it this way, um, it, it was sort of met with like, uh, uh, like that's just kind of how we do things, you know, don't question it too much or don't like, you know, don't rock the boat. Um, 
And for me, that was really frustrating because I thought that was like sort of the whole, that's one of the um, best aspects of inquiry is like getting to challenge the status quo and um, make things better. But um, yeah, it just, it seemed like, like uh, actually when you challenge the status quo, you kind of get met with a little bit of adversity. So I kind of wanted to see what you guys thought about that, whether that was your um, experience or whether y'all had a different experience. I do say uh, on my part, I feel like my, uh, my PI recommends me to like, like to do a lot of this researching on my own and kind of show it to him in terms of scientific inquiry, because a lot of stuff, like, I guess I'm looking to, he's not like too familiar with. So it's like, it's new. It's kind of novel to him, but he's been having like, he he's he's looked into it like kind of slightly and he's been interested in it because it kind of relates to uh i guess in his case it, it works it kind of relates to how pesticide act on specific cells to cause uh uh cell death through uh electrotoxicity but this is something kind of sim- similar to it but it's just the mech the molecular mechanism is like i don't want to say it's foreign but it's just it's just somewhat novel to look into so like he he always tell me to like he he always tell me to just do like random presentations and whatnot on certain things for, uh, for us to learn uh, all together and we can kind of question question it as it goes because like i read so many pa- papers within the year about this material and kind of correlating to what he does with flies so uh, that's my case I, I feel like it's it should be encouraged um uh, by professors uh, to kind of question things around you and not just take it uh, to face value. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. I, I agree with, yeah. No, honestly, the, I will, well, I'll say I was really lucky with my PI, um, but it was also really an odd situation in many ways because I was, a bio, I was majoring in biology, but I was working in the physics department. <laughs> So, and like with theoretical phys- physicists that did stuff in really more like lasers and optics. So I was, hmm. I was definitely, I felt to some extent like out of my league. <laughs> I was out there, but I mean, I do have my minor in astrophysics and that's actually how I met my, um, that's how I met my, uh, not necessarily my PI, but like his supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I met, uh, I met Dr. Schusler, who was who's pretty much my boss. Like I met him by accident going to a, um, it was I was my I took I took an extra year as an undergrad because um, I changed my major so many times, um, but I finally like so my senior year in the core, so I did the core for four years, loved it, definitely like one of the best experiences for me because I grew so much as a person, um, rough on my grades. <laughs> But, like, I got so much life, like, knowledge out of it that it was great. Um, but my, I ended up going to, they, it, the physics department was having a seminar slash, like, um, event that was, it, it was just, anybody could go. And it was, the title was, like, Science and Science Fiction, or Science in Science Fiction. And it was basically, like, actual scientists writing science fiction. And so I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool talk to go to. So I decided to go. 
And I like marched out to the physics building, which if you've ever been to AM College Station, um, walking from pretty much one end to another takes a long time. But I finally like in, in my senior boots and everything, like walked out there. Um, and on my way there, like I was getting to the door and there was this elderly gentleman behind me and he had a cane and he was carrying a box. So it didn't look like he'd be able to get the door. So I like, I was like, hey, uh, I got the door. And so I held open the door for him and he was like, oh, thank you so much. You remind me of like one of my first students who's a Lieutenant General now. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, but really nice guy. Um, and he was like, well, would you like to work in my lab? I, we started talking about like, he's like, why are you over here? I was like, oh, the talk. He's like, oh, me too. I mentioned my minor in astrophysics. Uh, even though I was a biologist, I was looking at that minor. Um, I wanted to study astrobiology. I watched way too much Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who as a kid, but like still kind of have a passion for it. It's very theoretical, but it's I think it's really cool. So like I talked to him about my minor and stuff, and he apparently had done a lot of stuff with like astrophysics. And so he was like, well, would you like to work in my lab? And I was like, that would be great. I had like very little research experience at the time, pretty much none. And so I was like, this would be great. Like I could see if I like this and stuff. And so that's kind of how I met him in my PI. Um, and so meeting them was great. My PI uh, was a pure researcher. That's all he did. And so unlike my boss who actually taught and did research, um, so my PI though, like was really great. And he actually, because physics was rough for me, I struggled with physics. Like he actually would sit down with me and like we would work out a lot of the physics stuff and he would actually be really patient and explain it to me. And so he was really great. And I was really fortunate to have him because he really was like, okay, I know you think really like just do what you're told. And part of that, he was like, that's probably part of your core mentality too. Cause like in the military, you, you don't always question orders. You pretty much, you do it right. You question if you think it's like unlawful, but otherwise normally you just, you do what you're told. So he was like, you need to get out of that mentality. And he was really encouraging of like, well, what about this? What about that? And so I had to like, I had to be like, okay, like, well, let's think about what we got. How do I like, how do I question that? And so it was hard because I would read a lot of papers on our topic, which was surface plasma and resonance, um, which basically um, how that works is there's basically a beam of light, a light ray, it's going at a certain wavelength, okay? And so it goes through a prism and gets refracted and it hits a membrane and bounces off. And so that when it hits the membrane, it excites the membrane and so it resonates. That's a lot of how um, your ultrasound works and things like that. They've thought about using it for cancer too, actually. Um, there's a lot of practical applications. We've known, or the physics world has known about surface plasma and resonance for like 20 or 30 years at least. Biology, it's taken it a little longer to like figure out about surface plasma and resonance, but normally you have to like, it takes a little bit, it takes some components for it to, um, but that's, uh, that was kind of what I had to work on. And so like, it was interesting kind of working with him and him really encouraging me to think outside the box and to really challenge stuff. Cause I wasn't really used to that. I was very much like, okay, I'm told to do this. This is what I'm going to do. So I was literally fortunate, but I know many like that are discouraged and I knew other uh, groups that were 
my other PIs that I've worked with in other labs were not as like, they weren't, they didn't encourage me to question. They were just like, this is how we do it. And at the times I, I wasn't really, I don't feel like I'd really developed a whole lot as a scientist at the time. And so I didn't really think about questioning it yet. Um, nowadays I do a little more. And so I'm like, well, why is it that way? And I try to think of reasons of why and how to test that. But at the time, like in the other, the plant lab I was in, I was just kind of doing what they told me. I didn't really think about questioning and I didn't work there very long to be able to do it. With the one I did that was marine, I actually did a little bit, but that's because I actually completely designed and executed my experiment. And then I had to think about like why my experiment was showing me these things. But, and that's all because I was really fortunate and had a good PI. And that's something, if you're thinking about research, you really need to talk to your PI that you're thinking of working with, like that professor. Also talk to the people in the lab because they will tell you a whole lot about how that lab works. Is it a good lab? Do, is, do, does, is the PI one that'll actually like work you through it? Or is it like one of the PIs I've had, which is just like, do whatever the heck you want. And yeah, you're, it's all up to you. So it really depends on your lab that you go into. And that's something you need to look at before you decide to do research. Look at the lab. How does the PI work? Because if the PI is very hands-off, that's great for some people and that's horrible for others. I prefer a little more hands-on is what I learned from my experience with the like, do whatever the heck you want. I, I'm like, I would have liked a little more structure, please. So, yeah. How about um, you, Billy Kiss? Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I was actually lucky to have um, a very handsome PI when um, I did my research after my undergrad. And then coming to Tamuk, um, Dr. Sung is actually pretty cool. Um, in terms of hands-on, I think he does try his best to kind of like be there and be more involved with um, his supervision and the guidance he gives like myself and my other lab members. So if you guys know Dr. Sung, you know he's the graduate student coordinator. So obviously he has like a lot of stuff that he's doing outside of lab and um, I think he does try his best in terms of like just making sure that you know we actually understand what we're doing because we do have like meetings every week where we meet up with him and then we kind of like go through our progress what we need to do re-strategize if we need to we kind of do that and he does like do um kind of like a research paper review thing with us so kind of like emails a research paper on probably a project we're working with or we're working on that week. And we kind of like go over the paper individually. And then we have the one-on-one -on -one meeting where we kind of talk about it and then kind of like see, you know, how it applies to what we're currently doing in the lab and stuff like that. So I'll say it could get better, but he's really trying his best. And I mean, one thing I've learned with the master's programming is you need to learn how to work independently. You can't just depend on every single person or like every single faculty, you know, in the department. Even that even goes as far as if you're doing coursework, they still expect some form of like, you need to be able to do work on your own, but then they're there for 
you know, additional resource or references and stuff like that. So that's one thing I've come to learn, at least this past year, is work independently and also don't be afraid to like ask questions and let your supervisor know if you're running into problems or if you need clarification on anything you're working on. So yeah, that's it for me really. So for those that are interested in going to graduate school, like what are some of the requirements? Because like whenever whenever I uh, I was enrolled for this graduate program, there was like of course they needed like my my transcript, my undergrad transcript, uh, and I also also had to take a, a standardized test as the GRE, which is oh my god I hated that so much. That was that was one of the stressful times of just just studying for it. Um, how how was y'all's experience with that? Whenever you uh, y'all begin to enroll, it for, for me it was kind of um, it was kind of weird because I like I was initially trying to join the chemistry department, and I wasn't totally clear on I mean. I guess the requirements were written out, but they were like around that time they were transitioning websites or like, I don't know, changing um, website providers or something like that. So like there were like the requirements on the old website and then the requirements on the new website and they weren't completely in sync. So I remember just kind of being confused and I had to like reach out to an advisor about that. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it was pretty much the same, just like GRE, and uh, you do provide your resume as well as um, have like certain courses that you know you took as an undergrad. Um, and I think for me, one of the things I didn't take as an undergrad was physical chemistry um, because I was a biomedical sciences major. So I actually had to, I was admitted with stipulations. The stipulations being that I took two semesters of physical chemistry during my um, first year as um, a chem major. And uh, the ironic thing is I ended up switching to biology, even though I took both semesters of physical chemistry. So, um, but yeah, the, the requirements, I think now that they have like the new website up and running, um, the requirements should be pretty straightforward. Um, but just, yeah, GRE, resume, and then um, I think you actually apply through Apply Texas. So that's yeah. like the actual application. Yeah, you need to apply through Apply Texas. Um, for any, for most of your Texas universities, um, for graduate school, a lot of them require you to go through Apply Texas. TAMUK is one of them. Um, so you'll fill out stuff there pretty much like you did for undergrad. Um, you'll fill it out with the basic like, your name, background, that that stuff. Yeah, you're gonna need your your resume um, or CV. Some some require CV depending. There is a difference. So make sure you look it up. Um, your career center will generally have like stuff on like the difference between a CV and a resume. So that's something to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and so so our listeners kind of know. Um, your CV is different than your resume in that your resume is normally one page. Uh, for a resume, uh, at least the way I was taught to do it, and maybe some of y'all, is that you have a master resume. Your master resume is going to be heck long, okay? 
Um, but that's going to have everything that you've ever done, like, on it. Okay, so, like, if you took a specific class and, it, and you had, like, different projects in it, sometimes they want that on there. But, like, especially if you worked at different jobs, if you've, like, done, th like, your work, your your uh, research, everything is going to be on your resume, like, any of your community service, um, stuff like that. It's all going to be on your master. And so everything from your whole undergrad experience will be and generally, when you do a resume to a place, you only pick the stuff from your master that you that are relevant for whatever you're applying to. CV can be as many pages as you want, but it is generally your academic stuff. So if you had a job somewhere that was like flipping burgers, you probably aren't going to want to put that on your CV. It's not really applicable a lot of times unless it was... So I don't know. I don't know how you'd stick that on your CV. Your career center might be able to help you stick it on your CV, but I don't know if I can. So you will need, depending on for PhDs, especially if you're applying from an undergrad to a PhD, you're going to want to make sure that they, you, that you give them what they want. So if they want a CV, give them a CV. If they want a resume, give them a resume. They are not the same thing though. Okay. Um, a lot of times, another thing they want is a personal statement or a statement of interest. And that's basically uh, a one page, maybe two, on what you want to do. So what research you want to do, if you've talked to somebody, um, and just a little bit about yourself, anything that they need to know or they should know, um, and why you think you're fit to do that, or what you can bring to the table, stuff like that. There's a bunch of what resources online on like how to write them, and there's a lot of examples, so look at those. Rex, make sure you got your letters of recommendation set up. Um, generally, they're going to want a diversity with that. So you're going to want one from, if you're working in a job, probably that one, that person. If you're doing research, definitely get your research, your PI to write you a letter of recommendation. Um, and then if you did, if you were in charge of an organization and you had an advisor, maybe that person or another one of your professors. So a lot of times um, they're also looking for someone that like one of your professors to write you a letter of recommendation. I know I ended up talking to my um, organic chemistry teacher to write me one. So it's one of those, you, you're gonna need generally three, at least some want fewer, some want more, depends on your program. Make sure you read your program to know exactly what they want. Um, and then things to think about when you apply is tuition. Does your school cover your tuition? Does it not? Do you need to have funding to get into it? Do you not? depends on your program, so make sure you look at it. I know for TAMUK, they do not pay, at least in the bio department, they don't pay for your tuition, your graduate tuition. So you will need to either have a loan for it or bring in a scholarship or something for it to cover it or pay for it yourself. So those, that's kind of how it is for TAMUK. Something to think about. If you're okay with that, some programs, again, will, they'll, if you get into their program, they will pay for you to be there. It just depends. So. I want to say, like, uh, I think uh, one thing that can kind of help out financially is, like, they do offer a uh, GTA scholarship. Not Grand Theft Auto, but a uh, graduate teaching <laughs> assistant scholarship. Uh, so they give you, like, a <laughs> they give you, like, a, a monthly uh, stipend every uh, monthly or so for teaching labs. Cause there's, there's that, and then they also have uh, hourly workers as well. I've been mostly grinding on that for the most part to help um, pay for tuitions and stuff.
So we have our last topic uh, for today's podcast. It was really lovely to hearing uh, all of y'all's experience uh, working um, in graduate studies or research. Um, our last thing I wanted to hit home across is, you know, how y'all manage y'all's time, whether it be your personal time and going to class, studying for those classes, you know, trying to maintain that 4.0 GPA, mm-hmm. as well as doing research. You know, how how do y'all manage to do all of that? Well, um, for me, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting struggle to figure out how to do that. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't get as high of a grade as I wanted as an undergrad. But part of the reason that was for me is because I was very active doing many, many things. And I wasn't as good about managing it as I should have been. Um, I, I also started off in a major that uh, I ended up changing from. I ended up changing my major three times as an undergrad. So I went from engineering, biological and agricultural engineering, which is a great major, honestly. Like, it's a nice department, great to work with them. Like, I loved being there. But it wasn't for me what I wanted to do. And I went from that to general studies to sociology, of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, fun major, but interesting. Um, but I, I was thinking about doing social work at one point. And then I went from that to finally biology, which is really where I wanted to be. Um, and uh, that was it was hard figuring out, uh, trying so that all that transitioning as well as I was in the core. I also started a part-time job at one point on campus at uh, a little fast food place there. I also uh, was in a couple other organizations in the core and stuff. So it, um, how do you do that is one of those, if you care, the way I look at it, and I know that some people look at it different ways, but the way I look at a lot of things is if you care about it, you're gonna make time for it and you're gonna figure out how to work it into your schedule. Um, And when I was in everything as an undergrad, I didn't place as much of an emphasis on my grades and my classes as I should have. I probably, I would have done a lot better in them if I had given them a little more focus than what I was given. Um, And so that's one of the things I learned. And so in my master's now uh, for biology, I'm able, I've been better about figuring out where to give my time. Um, Something that I had a hard time doing as well as undergrad, uh, being in the Corps of Cadets, I took on a lot of leadership and I had to work with a bunch of different people. And so a lot of times I got asked to do a bunch of different things to be like, oh, um, I did a lot of recruiting. I also did, uh, I did operations, which is a lot of planning and logistics. And so they'd be like, oh, I need your help doing uh, this operations project or I need to help, I need your help planning something and so i'd be like okay sure and so i'd do it but really like i should have been studying or doing something else so i had to learn and teach myself that like okay i need to say no to this because i have to focus on this which is actually much more important for my end goals than this where this might be fun but this is not where i need to focus my energy or focus my efforts um so i learned how to do that and that was kind of what helped me as well, like managing my time was um, I did that. I also, in the core, one good thing was that it was very structured. 
And so I thrive with structure, I learned. And so I have, especially in, ma in my master's now, um, and really, especially with Corona too, like I've had to really make sure I've got the structure and I have to create my own structure. So that's been really uh, something that I have worked on and done better at. And because of that, I've been able to do get better grades. I've been able to uh, be involved in GBSA and eventually become its president. And um, I've been able to do the research I do and have the social life that I have because I've been able to kind of structure my time and be like, okay, I know now how much how many things I can take on and being okay with saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. I don't have the time. So that's kind of how I've done that. Uh, it has been very stressful. <laughs> um, I have been, while I don't take as many hours in graduate school, normally in graduate school, you're going to take probably about nine hours, um, six to nine, maybe 10, uh, but you're not going to take as much as you did as an undergrad. While this, you may think, oh, that's great. Like I'll have more time. You, you're, you're kidding yourself. Uh, <laughs> your time is getting taken up doing your research if you decide to do that. Um, but also, I mean, in your resume, you want to have a fairly well-rounded resume. So you're going to be involved in our organization, Graduate Biology Student Association, or some other organization that's more related to your major. So um, it's uh, one of those things. It can be stressful, but it depends on how much is on your plate and you being able to manage it. And it's amazing what you can work with and what you can do and how little sleep you really need in order to do everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, it's it, it's one of those, you need to know your priorities. Once you've decided these are my priorities, this is what I wanna do, this is my goal, it makes it a little easier to structure how you're going to handle everything else underneath it, at least in my experience with it. Um, and it is okay to say no if you have too much on your plate. It's a sometimes it's a hard skill for some of us. At least for me, it was. But uh, it's an important skill to learn. And the sooner you learn how to manage it and to work with it, the better off you'll be. Mm -hmm. That's my two um, cents. I totally agree with everything you said, Elizabeth. For me as well, structure and prioritizing are like two big factors when it comes to time management in grad school, especially if you're someone that kind of like can't work under pressure or you tend to like procrastinate a lot. You definitely need something that can keep you accountable so that way you can actually get your work done at the right time and be very productive and I mean grad school you're going to face so many challenges first of all and because it's a new environment you're meeting new people you're doing new stuff you have to be open to adjustment like you have to adapt real quick you're meeting people so I know in grad school just depending on who you are there are going to be resources and people They'll be available to help you if you reach out to them, which is a good support system. Um, but again, like I said, time management is very important. If not, you're going to slack on so many things. So I mean, like that structure for me helps me kind of like get things done when I need to get things done. I mean, I'm going to be honest. It's not like I don't slack sometimes, but then 
just knowing that, okay, I have this thing to do at this time actually literally helps me 90% of the time to actually get my work done. Because, I mean, things come up, impromptu meetings and stuff that you have to do, you have to adjust to, and you have to figure out. Those things come up, but then once you know that, okay, I have an idea of the things I need to do, when they do, it kind of like just helps you not kind of like forget stuff. So for me, I'm a very, I don't say I'm a forgetful person, but like I have this thing with me where when I remember I need to do something, if I don't write it down or like put it on my reminder or on my calendar, I'm going to forget. And I won't remember until it's past you. So I know myself and I know, okay, for me not to like fall in my own trap, <laughs> I tend to like just, once I remember something or once I'm told, okay, there's a meeting at this time or I have to submit like a paper at this time, I tend to like just put it straight away into my phone because I carry my phone everywhere. I put it into my <coughs> reminder, I set an alarm, I put it everywhere possible. In fact, I have like a sticky note that I take with me. I kind of like write that and paste it mm -hmm. in the front of my laptop so that way even when I open my laptop it's like there in my face. So I just kind of like do a lot of things that help me remember to like keep track of the important things I need to do. So you're that kind of person and you just know you need that extra help to help you kind of like remember to do your stuff and get work done. I'll say just go for it. But structure is very important to me and just know who you are, know yourself. Some people are good with structure, some people aren't. Some people just don't like that in quote, that routine life. <laughs> I have friends that don't like routine. So they tend to just kind of like go with the flow and just do what they like have to do whenever they feel like doing it, which is okay. I mean, whatever works for you. So just know yourself, know what works. It might take a while for you to know what works for you, but just putting that effort, be intentional about figuring out what helps you get your work done the best. So that's just my two cents as well. I totally agree, and I actually do some some of the things that you mentioned, Bilicus. Um, Like, usually, whenever there's an exam or if there is an important assignment that needs to be turned in, I, I do have like a calendar, like literally right beside me, and, and I would just kind of like mark it in with like important like due dates and stuff like that, and especially even also meetings and whatnot of like the times because I'm incredibly forgetful. I, I usually I straight up just suffer from like short term memory loss, so like. I just instantly forget about yeah. some things. Uh, and I also got a bunch of sticky notes here. So I, I kind of just like, sometimes uh, I'll just be, I'll just grab one and I'll just put it on the wall right here. And then I'm just like, okay, I got to do so-and-so assignment uh, by this time. And then once I'm done with it, I just crumple it up and throw it. Um, other things, and, I, and I've seen a lot of like my other friends that have done it. They also have uh, planners, like, 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 I haven't actually considered getting one, but I really heard it's really like really helpful to kind of keep your schedule pretty structured uh, for the most part. I actually have a planner, so I totally agree with the planner idea. I have a I have a virtual planner and I have a physical planner. So hopefully, it's one of those I figure. Hopefully, between the two, it's written somewhere, <laughs> so I remember <laughs> it. So that's I agree with that for sure. Writing everything down. Important. Frankie, what do you feel about this topic of time management? Like, um, how do you manage your time? I mean, everyone's 
touched on the main points already, I'd, I'd say. Um, one thing that I will add is that it's important to understand what your goals are. Um, uh, not just your, I mean, yes, your professional goals, that, that's really important. That's why you're in school, but also your personal goals. Um, once you understand goal, your own goals, you can go on to um, decide like what you're going to prioritize and decide like how you're going to plan things. But if you kind of don't know like what what the end uh, or like what the main objective is, and you're not really you're kind of just walking without having any kind of direction. Um, so. Um, I, I'd say that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. But then besides that, you guys pretty much hit on the, the main stuff, I think. Um, I, I, I agree with Elizabeth, I think, and, and uh, Billicus. It's, structure is important and it's hard to, um, to implement structure in your own life. Um, I think when you sit down and you plan your, your week out, I think that helps a lot. Um, and then there are tons of resources online um, that can help. Uh, literally, all you have to do is Google time management, and um, there are tons of resources that can help you. So, but it is really important. You're not going to be going to have a hard time being successful if you're not good at managing your time. Right. That is, yeah, for sure. There is a bunch of resources you can look up online. And they can give you advice to how you can manage yourself, prioritize a certain task, and even trying to make sure, like, try to keep you, like, in a good state of mind to, for you to, like, not to, like, be lazy or to uh, to procrastinate on certain things. Because, like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things dealing with that, may, may, either it be through depression or just, you know, you just really just be- became at such a habit to kind of just lay off on certain things until you wait to the last minute. We're trying to try to break that habit so that way you you can get into the work of completing things so that way it won't be so stressful for you, for your future self uh, when the time comes. So everyone, um, it's been awesome to hear about y'all's experience uh, with research and as well as like giving advice to our audience of how you can manage your time because I feel like that is a good skill to have especially you know if you not only just being in you know going going to college and stuff like that but it can it can be in any, any other field or occupation out there it's like it's a it's a high priority a good skill to have is to kind of manage manage your time uh, wisely so yeah, I mean this it's this is really awesome to hear and and I think um everyone will be happy to hear about it. Um are there any like any last final remarks y'all would like to say? No, just good luck to everybody. I hope um learns or you all learned some stuff from our tips and our discussion about graduate school. Definitely. We would try to have even much more with uh, each episode to come to kind of like just to make sure, like, going into graduate uh, school or even any other college to make it easier for y'all, just to give you all the information, as well as having fun along the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, um, this is the end, and 
we'll be back again for episode three. We don't know what the topic will be like. We will, I guess, we'll try to figure that out uh, soon. I guess, but um, we'll try. I think the schedule. I guess we can talk about that. Is we we are trying to release uh, each of our uh, podcast episodes uh, on a weekly basis, so we can have two episodes each week. And um, once I'll, um, I'm kind of like done like editing, like and trimming some of the audio, as well as like a little bit of like putting all these other stuff onto it. I'm planning to have him kind of like drop one day, say like Tuesday, and then have another one. The other episode will drop on a Thursday or Friday. I'm I'm not too I'm not too sure how the schedule works. Maybe it can be also be done the weekend. I'm I'm not too positive positively sure. And then trying to think of a time that would be a best time to like release it. And uh, we'll try to keep you notified. Um, through we uh, GBSA does have a so other social media like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow us there for any news and whenever we do release an episode and also we also have a snapchat as well that we recently uh, added so we will more likely we'll post that in the link in the description for y'all to kind of follow and become updated as well as for other events and that we might be uh, holding as well um but yeah again thank you all for coming it's been fun And we hope to see y'all again in the next episode. Y'all take care and stay safe.